This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martorano. We're here talking about behavioral health, which is altogether fitting and appropriate. Program is sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more a little bit later. Behavioral health is a big, big topic now. You're reading more and more uh, about it. It uh, covers a, a wide range of of everything that constitutes our f- physical and mental well-being. As you know, there is a, a growing crisis among young people, in particular, with regard to. Uh, to uh, mental health disorders. So we're going to take a look at one of the obviously tragic and unfortunate um, uh, aspects of of, uh, mental health problems in this country, and that's the trauma often associated with these events. We're going to take a a little deeper dive on the phenomenon, the tragic phenomenon of uh, mass shootings in this country as well. So that's the program here on Recovery Radio. Our guest, and we're real happy to have her back with us again, is Liza Pikarski. Uh, Liza is the uh, Community Relations Representative for Retreat's West Palm Beach facility. She's also a licensed mental health counselor, certified addictions professional. She has specialized in working with uh, young people, teenagers, uh, and young adults who are struggling with a range of uh, behavioral health issues that include substance abuse, behavioral difficulties, depression, and anxiety. And, of course, our particular interest today is uh, in uh, trauma. So uh, we welcome uh, Liza Pikarski to the program. Hi, Liza. Good to hear you again. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me back. No, it's, our, it's, our, it's our pleasure. Uh, Liza also has some particular um, insights into this uh, counseling and dealing with trauma as a result of the of mass shootings, and we'll get into that deeper. She has some counseling experience, uh, having been uh, part of the people who went down to uh, to Stoneham Douglas High School in February of uh, 2018 after the shooting there that killed 17 people. But we'll get to that a little later. Uh, Liza, let's let's talk about, the, you know, the, the macro view of, uh, of trauma. Uh, when, when, we, when we say trauma, what are we talking about in general? Um, what is what does trauma look like? If you can generalize about that. So, trauma could is really an emotional response to an event, a terrible event, an accident, um, a mass shooting. It could and a trauma could be several different things. There's no it could be a mass shooting. It could be um, natural disaster. Um, abuse, so trauma could show up in so many different ways, but it's really just the emotional response to a terrible event. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's let's get a little closer to the ground on this one. Everything that happens to us that's of an unpleasant or or sudden nature, we have an emotional reaction to. When does that emotional reaction uh, constitute a problem that we talk uh, talk about as trauma? What's going on with someone? who's experienced a traumatic event. Yeah, so as far as when does it become a problem, I think we have to really focus on the individual first. And I never want to identify it necessarily as a problem, but as a reaction to a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. When we define it as a problem, we might create a defense in terms of seeking out that treatment. And we never want somebody to feel to be apprehensive about seeking out help for something that they had no control over. And typically a trauma is 
that. Um, so as far as when we recognize that it's becoming, it's affecting our daily life, it's going to be individual for each person. Um, and there's different, there's three different stages of that, according to SAMHSA. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to go into yeah, I do. those I do, stages yes. and mm-hmm. what that looks like? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, according to research, that you're going to have the acute phase, which is immediately after the event, the intermediate phase, which is going to occur several days to weeks afterward, and then you have the long-term phase. Right, so in the acute phase, it's really that initial shock and denial. So that's going to show up pretty much right after the day of days following um, a tragic event, and then in the intermediate phase is several weeks following that is that fear. You're going to start to experience that fear, anger, uh, maybe some anxiety, increased anxiety, depression, disturbed sleep, disturbed eating patterns, isolation. Again, it could be different. Um, it's going to show up different, manifest itself differently in each individual. And then you enter into the long-term phase, the long-term phase, which occurs after several months. And some, at some times, the individuals no longer need treatment in this phase, that they're really progressing and they've really um, just really got a hold of managing their symptoms and their emotions while others continue to struggle and they'll start to experience flashbacks Uh, maybe some nightmares, difficulties leaving the house, maybe some agoraphobia. So it really just depends. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's see if I understand this. The acute phase probably can be thought of as normal. I mean, most people would have a reaction to something horrific, whether it happened close to them or even far away if the event is traumatic enough, correct? Absolutely. Um, That's going to be a typical reaction to anything that we're not used to. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all somewhat normal. They all are pretty normal reactions to a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. It's when it's 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 when they begin to interfere with the quality of your life or your thinking or your or your physical well-being that we begin to have a problem. You talked about those uh, intermediate uh, effects. Where, where behavior starts to change. To talk a little bit about a couple of those. I mean, eating disorders, agoraphobia, people are actually afraid to come out of the house. Have you experienced people who were that deeply traumatized? Yes, it's very common. Um, and it's important to, to, rec- to factor in how they were functioning prior to this significant trauma. Was there a history of mental health? Were, has there been... Um, prior traumatic events, um, whether it's abuse, um, trauma can be categorized as anything, loss of house, loss of a family member, um, loss of an animal. So prior to the mass shooting or the significant event, was there a history of trauma? Was there a history of mental health? That's going to be a big indicator of how they handle the you know, the current situation and then, and also the prognosis. So really, if when counseling someone who's been, uh, who's suffering from a traumatic event, um, a counselor like yourself has to begin before the, the actual event that you're, you're there talking about. What I'm thinking of, are, are there people who are, I don't know how to put this, more susceptible to very negative effects of a, of a traumatic event because 
you know, they're carrying a lot. I don't know. They're carrying a lot of baggage that makes them s- more susceptible to this. Am I making any sense here now? You know, absolutely. Yeah. So it's previous exposure to trauma, mental health, really the lack of coping skills. So I spent several years working at a 30 bed intensive mental health facility for females. And it was 99.9% of them were there as a result of trauma, whether they knew it or not. So if I had those 30 girls going into um, who lacked coping skills, lacked family support, um, exposed to violence, abuse, you know, we factor all that in. And then we have them exposed to uh, a mass shooting, a natural disaster. Their likelihood to function or, you know, their prognosis is going to be somewhat poor or less than than someone who ha- who has developed those coping skills, who has had the social, financial, mm-hmm. educational support, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, it does. Uh, what's the relay? I'm just thinking here. Is there a relationship between people who exhibit either severe or mild kind of phobias and a, and a tendency to be more devastated by a trauma. By that I mean, you know, there are people that we won't take escalators, are afraid of elevator, won't fly. Are people like that uh, in in uh, more danger of being traumatized by a by a bigger event? Yes. So they're going to be at increased risk for experiencing heightened symptoms. So someone that's already experiencing some generalized anxiety disorder, uh, maybe some social phobias. Like you mentioned, yes, um, if they've experienced them, but they've, you know, really had been in therapy, behavioral therapy, um, exposure therapy, whatever they're going through, um, if they have some of those symptoms under control and are working on it, it might not be, you know, it might not affect them as much. And Mm -hmm. they might actually have a greater ability to deal with it in the future because they've been trained and worked um, with a professional to handle it. So it really just depends if they have exposure to it and they haven't had the therapy or, you know, any intervention, previous intervention. Yes. And they're going to be at higher risk for more severe symptoms, in my opinion, or if they've had those and they've received therapy, then they might not be. Liza Pikarski is our guest. Liza is the community relations representative at Retreat in West Palm Beach, Florida. She's talking to us uh, about her work in uh, with teenagers and young adults. Um, uh, dealing with things like well, depression and anxiety uh, as a result of, of, of a traumatic uh, event. Uh, Liza, um, let's, let's talk a little, a little bit about, are there stages of this? I mean, can you begin depressed about something? I mean, traumatic events are depressing. Do you then progress into like an anxious personality uh, or, or is it random? It's, it really depends on the individual. Um, yes, they could experience depression, anxiety, withdrawing from daily activities, developing somatic symptoms where you're having extreme, you know, all of a sudden having headaches, stomach aches, but yet there's no medical diagnosis. And um, so it really is just, again, I keep saying this, but it depends on the individual. Um, and their environment, their social support, their coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Well, when we come back after the break here now, I want to pick up on uh, just that point. Um, 
coping mechanisms because that's exactly what this is about. Eliza uh, uh, Pikarski, our guest. This is Recovery Radio. We're talking about trauma and uh, treating it. Stay with us. We have more. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. Our guest on the telephone from West Palm Beach, Florida, is Liza Pikowski. Uh, Liza is a licensed uh, mental health counselor, certified addiction professional. She has specialized in work with teenagers and young adults who are suffering from behavioral uh, difficulties, the range of which covers substance abuse to what we're talking about specifically today, which is uh, trauma. Um, Liza, before we took the break there, you mentioned coping mechanisms. Tell me some of the – I understand that some coping mechanisms are absolutely vital in in healing and treating uh, trauma, and others might not be so good. In fact, they may be negative coping events. Let's begin with the the good ones, the the good coping mechanisms. Sure. So it's interesting that there's actually so many more – positive coping mechanisms to engage in as opposed to negative ones. So it's a good start. Um, So I'm going to list off a few. I'll go into some detail on some and feel free to ask questions. But when you're experiencing a traumatic event or anything, just this is something to take into consideration daily, even if you haven't experienced um, traumatic events. Um, is really taking care of your mental health and physical wellness. So that would include, I would say first is reaching out to somebody. The first thing is letting others know that you're, you know, you're struggling or reaching out for help in order to um, not hold that in. The more we hold stuff in, the harder it becomes to work through that trauma. So really, um, seeking out a therapist, becoming educated on it. What are what am I experiencing? You know, recognizing that this is a normal um, result after an event. So there's also progressive muscle relaxation, engaging in deep breathing, um, enhancing your social support, journaling, bibliotherapy, reading up, reading about it, different um, different coping mechanisms, or just self help books. And physical exercise. So those are just some that I can think of off the top of my head, but I'm sure the list goes on. And uh, also just engaging in any um, positive activities that you enjoy. You know, if I I understood that uh, correctly, I guess the first thing to do is kind of not demystifies the way, demystify the way you're feeling, but recognize that the fear, particularly the fear, and the uneasiness that the traumatic event has has um, resulted in is is understandable and natural, and then begin to work on it. I, too, I guess too many people who are traumatized sort of suppress that notion, right? Yes. And that suppression is one of the bad mechanisms. Now, there are other bad coping mechanisms. You have a traumatic uh, event, you begin to... Change your behavior as a result of the event. Sometimes you change it in the wrong way. What kinds of things are you seeing, or or, or typically occur when people are not handling this properly? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, unfortunately, in pra- you know, in private practice or in therapy, I'm not I'm not always seeing it because they're not reaching out. 
more times than not, those people are isolating, they're withdrawing, they are struggling to communicate their feelings with anybody. So they're, um, they're staying home by themselves. They're not engaging in any activities. So you have anhedonia, which is really no longer engaging in activities that were once pleasurable for you. Um, what I do see is those that are coming into me that are not coping, you know, not utilizing the best coping mechanisms are some self-harming behaviors, whether it's cutting, um, increased promiscuity, uh, substance use is definitely one of the most common ones. It's really just, when we talk about suppressing, it's really their way of suppressing their emotions. It's, it's numbing the pain. It's a Band-Aid to not feel. So that would be definitely one of the, the ones that I see the most. Yeah, it, it almost appears self-evident, but it, it really has not been until very, very recently where folks in your field recognize that things like substance abuse had an underlying mental health component that may, you know, may be what's driving the, the, the bad behavior. So that's called a, um, a co-occurring um, a disorder. What about those people who are suffering from a trauma or I should put it this way, are there people who suffer from uh, traumatic events and aren't aware that they are suffering from them? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. We, we see that all the time as well. Um, because what's traumatic for somebody mm -hmm. might not be considered traumatic for somebody else. Um, or they might not recognize that it's traumatic. So it's really exploring... Um, the onset of the symptoms that they're presenting with. You know, so they might be coming in as feeling depressed and anxious and not associating it with any particular trauma, yet come to find out um, their house was foreclosed on mm -hmm. or they were abused as a child or whatever it may be. Again, trauma shows up in so many different ways. There's also, I guess, a category of people, and I'm thinking of first responders here who... who probably don't know that they're, they have been traumatized, but instead just go, well, it's part of my job. Of course there's trauma involved in this, and don't recognize that they're being affected by this. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. And there's still, there is a, is, is, there's a stigma around it still. You're a first responder, and this is my, like you said, this is part of my job. I, this is what's expected. So there's that stigma around getting help or identifying that, hey, this is really affecting my um, personal well-being, mental health, and physical well-being. Yeah, yeah. The unfortunate expression is man up. Well, it's, yes, it's interesting that you bring that because that's another topic that is a big discussion lately, which is that, you know, toxic masculinity is the cultural norms that are associated with being a male. And it's man up, don't cry. Um, just be a man about it. And that has really affected men, the male ability to reach out. And it in turn, it sometimes leads to more aggressive behaviors mm -hmm. in the future mm -hmm. because they're suppressing it so frequently. Liza Pikarski is our guest. We're talking about trauma, the effects on the individuals, the survivors of traumatic events and how they deal with it. And in fact, all of us are affected by these uh, uh, these events to uh, a greater or lesser extent. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. We have more straight ahead. 
We're back with Recovery Radio and our guest, Liza Pikarski. Straight ahead, we're talking about trauma. Um, and we will pick up the discussion in just a moment. But a reminder that um, our sponsors of the program are Retreat Behavioral Health. And I'm going to give you their phone number. I tell you this all the time. Um, I hope you never have to use it. And I know the people at Retreat believe that as well. But they've helped lots and lots of people. So if you need good information, and that's what this program is about, and that's why Retreat sponsors it, we give you the phone number in that spirit. 855-859-8808. That's 855-859-8808. And uh, given now that they are a behavioral health facility, they can offer you uh, some really, really important information across a wide range of uh, difficult situations, both mental health and substance abuse and the treatment of them. Retreat Behavioral Health, 855-859-8808. From their West Palm Beach facility, Liza Pikarski uh, has been our guest. She is the community relations representative, and she is counseled in her uh, in her role as a certified addictions professional um, and a mental health counselor. Lots of uh, teenagers and young adults. Uh, Liza, I want I want to spend some time now talking about the phenomenon of mass shootings. I bring it up um, because there's a, a lot that we don't understand about this stuff. First off, we have to look at the numbers, and the truth is that. With regard to the number of people who are traumatized and and killed by mass shootings, it's relatively small against the whole backdrop of gun uh, violence in this country. It's a, it's a small uh, percentage of that violence, but it has enormous has an enormous impact that goes well beyond the the people who are immediately affected about it. So we're going to talk about that in some uh, with some specificity today. I know that you, uh, in your role as a counselor, were involved in um, counseling some of the folks uh, at the Stoneham Douglas High School, where you know, in February of uh, 2018, we know that a, a shooter killed 17 students there. We all, we all know about that. It is, of course, not the last one. We've had uh, several recently that are that are also devastating. What did you do at, at Parkland? So I would say that right immediately after the event happened, they made a call out to all local clinicians to report if they were available um, to report to park trails where they were um, providing counseling and support and just a variety of services for the local community. So I was within 24 hours, I did report on to park trails where I served not necessarily as a therapist, but just as a support to the community. And um, when mass shootings or any traumatic event that affects the community occurs, you really need to ensure that victims feel connected to their community by providing support. So that was really my role that day, whether it was just handing out water, saying hi, greeting somebody, um, providing a hug. That was my initial role. However, it grew into be greater. Um, I would say maybe a month or so after the tragedy at Parkland, I was asked to um, provide us run a support group for the teachers. So my role was more so with the educational staff who were experiencing um, symptoms or just needed a little additional support. So that was an eight week group. And unfortunately due to my full-time job, I wasn't able to continue after the eight weeks, but that really served as support for the staff 
it was not necessarily a process group. However, at times it did become a process group because um, just really experiencing raw emotion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about the different phases, the acute, the intermediate. I would say this is more so in the intermediate phase, which was a good piece. Um, when they were experiencing fear and anxiety, and they weren't sure where, why. Why am I still experiencing these symptoms two months after the event? And that's a very common thing to um, to ask yourself. This, and you start to have some guilt. They brought up a lot of guilt that you know my family's not understanding why I can't move on from this. But they recognize that they weren't alone. So through their involvement in the group process or the support group, they recognized that they weren't alone, and we were able to walk through um, some of those some of those barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, so with, was, with regard to Parkland um, and guilt. Did you did you witness uh, what's referred to as survivor guilt? And and if you did, what what is survivor guilt? Yeah, I I think a lot of people experience survivor guilt, and in different ways, in different shapes or forms. Even you know the teachers were talking about it. Some of them were in the classroom, some of them were in a different building, but they still had their own experiences and feeling how, how was I so lucky that day? I had one teacher who happened to not come in that day. She called in or whatever it was. It was a guidance counselor and she just, she wasn't there. So you talk about survivor guilt and that feeling of why, why me? And um, how was I in the right place at the right time? Or how was I in the wrong place at the wrong time? So it's definitely um, something that we experiencing, experiencing, including myself being that I live 15, 10, 15 minutes from that area. Well, I want to talk a a little about the wider impact of of something like a mass shooting in just a moment. But this this notion of uh, survivor guilt, I guess it's I guess it's a uh, example of how uh, how deep a trauma can go. I mean, most of us can can just go, well, I got lucky and be be done with it. Uh, We like to think we can. But. That idea that you're so close to something as horrific as a shooting and you didn't get hurt and other people were, you know, slaughtered is a hard thing to get your head around. What of the two groups that you saw at Parkland, the students and the and the teachers, can you contrast how they how they felt about who was handling it better, I guess, is what I mean. Yeah, so I only had direct support to the teachers um, in a more um, closed setting. The students was just a day after and they were pretty much turning to those that they knew and I I wasn't part of that circle, that social support circle. Um, So... Well, tell us about the teachers. I think the teachers... Yeah, so the teachers played a very difficult role and um, one of the things that came up a lot was they were... they. After the shooting, after the tragedy, they felt they needed to be strong. So they weren't allowing themselves the opportunity to grieve. In that acute phase, when they're experiencing that shock, um, they weren't allowing themselves the time to go through the grieving process because they were showing up for the kids. They were putting on that smile when they got to class. And then it was several weeks later when they realized that they couldn't suppress these emotions anymore and they were starting to really show up and affect their, you know, their daily functioning. So I don't know if it affected anyone 
more than the other. I can't say that it, it would have had a greater impact on the students or the teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think it just had a different impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine what it's like to be math, a math teacher, for instance, one moment. And the next moment, you, you, you find yourself in a position of being this kind of counselor. Um, and... You're trying to counsel somebody through an event that you also experienced. It must have been particularly difficult for for the adults um, in, in that in that uh, situation. Um, do you have an opinion on what role treating trauma, uh, social media, has in treating trauma? Do, do, do the do the kids use social media in a therapeutic way? Do you think some do? I, I would definitely say some do. And you look at what they did with the, the students from Parkland and how they came together and created the March of Our Lives and all these different movements and going to Tallahassee and D.C. and really um, banding together. So I think that that was a really positive use of it. And then on the other hand, you had some, you know, continued threats, maybe attention seeking or whatever it might have been. So there has there had been some other negative uses of social media. But because of social media, so we talk about how mass shootings are a small piece of the violence that we have in America. You think you, you started with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yet they really have a bigger effect on the community. It yes. impacts so much, so much larger of a number. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, due to that, you have Twitter, Snapchat, 24-hour news channels. Um, due to those, it's possible for youth and their parents who are far removed from an incident to feel like they're experiencing it firsthand. So with that being said, it's affecting such a greater population, not just, uh, you know, the small town of the small town of Parkland. Well, yeah, and that's the the irony here. And it's difficult to get your head around this. But we, as an American, you... In spite of the news, you're 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 very unlikely to be the victim or caught up in a, in a mass shooting. This is just a statistical thing. Nevertheless, the events are so horrific and so uh, so uh, frequent lately that it shatters this sense of safety. That even though you're thousands of miles away from the event, your sense of I'm okay has been disrupted. Is that right? Yes. I mean, someone living in an earthquake-prone part of the world has every right to wonder what that rumbling noise is. But if you're thousands of miles away from that kind of area, your sense of tranquility and safety has not been disturbed. But it's the randomness of these events that scares the rest of us. We have, as a nation, I would guess we are suffering some kind of collective trauma because of this violence, are we not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, it's affecting everybody across the country. You, you're going to a concert, you go into a movie theater, you go to a, um, a sporting event on an airplane. Everyone, everywhere you go, it's, you know, it's associated or you're looking for where's the closest exit? What would happen? And that was it wasn't like this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, now kids, they're entering into this and they've I've had clients say this, I'm going into a sporting event where I'm getting on an airplane and I'm, I'm checking my surroundings. In a way, it's good to increase awareness. We want to be aware of our surroundings, but it's 
it's an increased fear that they have to, that they've endured as a result of all this, all these violent um, activities. Well, when you read that bulletproof backpacks Mm. are, uh, are selling uh, like crazy, you know, sure, that's, I guess, prudence, but it's also a manifestation of what we've been talking about, a nation that has been traumatized by this violence. Uh, Liza Plikarski, we have another segment with Liza to continue our discussion of trauma and uh, treating it straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We want to thank uh, uh, Liza Pikarski, our, our guest. Uh, Liza has been on the program a couple of times now as a, um, a licensed mental health counselor, and she's a certified addiction specialist. She is the community relations rep for Retreats West Palm Beach uh, facility. She, she joins us from time to time to talk about her work dealing with teenagers and young adults as they work their way through issues like well, behavioral problems across the range, depression, anxiety, and what we've been talking about today, trauma, and the trauma often associated with, with violence in schools nowadays. It's, it's amazing that kids, there's a whole generation now, at least one generation, that has grown up in this country now who, who have to consider that as part of their uh, education. What if it happened here? It's a, a national tragedy. Uh, Liza, I want you to talk a little bit about what communities can do and what you've seen in your area down there in the wake of Parkland. Uh, but before that, uh, tell us about um, trauma with regard to uh, PTSD. Are they the same? Is it the same thing we're talking about there, post-traumatic stress is, or, and trauma? Yeah, so post-traumatic stress disorder is something that could occur after a traumatic event takes place. So it's really a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, a traumatic event. Um, you, it's important to note that you don't have to actually experience it. You can, you can be a witness to it. Um, so it's either witnessing or experiencing um, a tragedy, a traumatic event. And again, it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's What's traumatic to you might not be considered traumatic to somebody else. Um, and some of those symptoms are going to include flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, um, uncontrollable thoughts about the event, um, agoraphobia, inability to leave your house um, due to the just continued um, fear surrounding mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. With regard to the behavior of young people who have been uh, traumatized or are suffering from a trauma, um, except for the most extreme manifestations of that, you know, cutting and uh, substance abuse, um, are there ways parents can detect or look out for um, a child of theirs who, who, I don't mean specifically someone who's been survived a mass shooting, but in general, look for signs that are not just moody teenager behavior and rather represent something more serious? Are there signs they can look for? Yeah, and there, there definitely are signs. The most important thing is to, to know your teenager, right? Are you sitting down and having dinners with them? Um, what is your level of act, activity with them? So if you're sitting down having dinner with them and typically they're interactive and, you know, cheerful 
And then all of a sudden they go through periods where they're not showing up for dinner, withdrawn, not eating. Um, you notice a pattern of sleep changes. Those are things that you definitely want to look at for warning signs. Does not mean it's always going to be a result of a traumatic event or an underlying mental health issues, but it's really important to pay mind to that because if you're starting to see it, chances are something's going on um, and you're, you can detect that early um, detect some of those symptoms and signs early on. And let's uh, conclude here on, on, on what a community at large, schools, hospitals, uh, educators, uh, clinicians like yourself, what the community at large can do sort of in advance of a traumatic event like a mass shooting. I know it's kind of hard to imagine preparing for a trauma since nobody really expects to be traumatized. But are there things that an active community can be thinking about? Sure, certainly. Um, we shouldn't just be thinking about it after the, after the fact. These services, these support groups, um, community involvement should be taking place daily, weekly, regardless of a, tra a tragedy occurring this way if and when something does happen, which we hope, of course, it doesn't, that it's not something that's shaking up um, the teenager's world. They're already used to going to these groups. They're already used to speaking um, about trauma or different, you know, different situations that are occur occurring in school. So I think just having these um, opportunities for them in place, um, starting for, you know, we just started school. And, you know, these kids are going back to school. That's the perfect time to start bringing this into discussion, having these support groups and making, you know, making it mandatory for them to engage in some form of mental health classes. And I know in Florida, that was just a law that was passed. And we're excited to hear what the next steps are for that. But yeah, it's, the, it's not stopping. Yeah, the the, the yeah. first lady of Florida has been spearheading that effort, and it's it's an, a critical point. I don't think it's gotten enough attention. We all went to school growing up, and you took a uh, hygiene class. You, you, everybody took hygiene when I went to school, and I'm sure when you did as well, which was about our physical well being. For the first time that I can think of, a school, uh, an educational organization, Florida in this case, is going to mandate that it be taught. I think it begins in sixth grade or something about mental yeah. about mental so health. Starting in sixth grade, correct? Yeah, and it's just a class kids go to. It will demystify this stuff. It will, as you say, open channels of communication, and it will be there. Uh, heaven forbid, um, mm. if a traumatic event occurs. Uh, Liza, thanks so much uh, for your time. We, we, we appreciate your unique perspective and your contribution to the discussion. This is the point where you say thanks, Steve. <laughs> thanks, Steve. Sorry. <laughs> thanks for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Liza Pikarski. Thanks so much, Liza. Bye-bye. Everybody, thanks for, uh, thanks for being with us, and uh, keep looking for Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.